Welcome back to Coaching Kern, and I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by my co-host, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kern. And it's September 5th, 2022, Labor Day here, but we're still working, trying to build better baseball IQs. We're joined today by a very special guest that we're, we're very fortunate to have, John Fitzgerald. John is the founder of Baseball United Foundation, also a documentary documentary filmmaker, um, which we'll talk about later in the show. And uh, John, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you today. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And I want to get started off right away with uh, s- something that I wasn't aware of when we first talked about, but you were kind enough to kind of guide me through the situation and, and talking about the Irish American Baseball Society, but told me about something much bigger, much more broad reaching. Uh, t- tell us about the origins of the Baseball United Foundation. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Baseball United Foundation, uh, we're a nonprofit and we were started in 2006. And, um, you know, as you referenced, um, we're going to talk about the documentary uh, filmmaking aspect of what I uh, do. Um, but I, I had just made a documentary in uh, 2006 about uh, the history of baseball in Ireland. And um, it was, uh, you know, it was a fun little project. And um, we we realized or I realized right away that there was no way for people to kind of uh, give back to, you know, to, to help support the growth of baseball in Ireland. So I started a nonprofit. Um, we focused on Ireland for a few years exclusively. And um We've grown since then, both geographically and, and in terms of like the scope of what we do. And, and uh, so we're teaching the game of baseball to kids in the U.S. And um, we're also helping uh, other organizations uh, in Ireland. Uh, that's still our main focus uh, outside of the United States. But we're also working with organizations in other countries where the game is not traditionally played. And, and financially, it's really hard. Like co- countries like Colombia, Nigeria, uh, Bhutan. Um, you know, places where you wouldn't expect to see a baseball, uh, facility. Um, but when you see the kids play and you see what they have to go through, it's, it's really, it's kind of like just a, a bunch of like feel good stories. Like, you know, cause there's volunteers just, you know, really learning the game at the same time when they're trying to, you know, teach the game to kids or people that have played the game before. And they come to, to these countries or these situations where kids want to play, but, they don't have equipment, they don't have fields. And, and so wherever these volunteers come from in their personal journey, we, we try to help them um, so that they can pass on the game to, to these kids. In what ways do you help? Now, I know you, you organize programs, you train coaches, you provide equipment, you help with field development. I said, I mean, you're, it sounds like you're, you're right down on the ground with, with these programs and helping them build. Yeah, we, we try to we try to be really flexible. I mean, the most important thing for these programs it typically comes down to money because they need to adapt. You know, they need to use funds in the way that they, you know, that's unique to their specific situation. So the first thing we do is, we, you know, we're out there on social media, we're trying to, to raise awareness and, and then we do online fundraising to, to help these, these programs. Um, the way the funds is, are used, typically it's uniforms. Sometimes it's uh, equipment for field maintenance. Um, you know, other times it, it's uh, things that I wouldn't classify as uniforms, but like, you know, um, cleats for the kids, uh, you know, like just baseballs, you know, the things that we wouldn't think about as being important because we take them for granted. Um you know, that's what we do in our, uh, we, we call it the share baseball around the world grant program. And then in Ireland, what we do is 
we train uh, coaches that have no background in baseball. We um, give them the tools that they need to run baseball practices. And typically what we're doing in Ireland and even in the United States, when we're teaching beginning baseball players, we're, we're really we're trying to get them to love the game. So we, we try to remove all the barriers and uh, barriers can be, uh, I guess we, we can get into that, but um, we try to make it so that a kid can play baseball indoors or outdoors um, all, you know, throughout the year, regardless of their skill level. And, and that, that's kind of the, um, the mindset we go into. So we, we try to train the coaches so that they can run a practice, they can organize um, games and, and things like that. Yeah. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, John, uh, Let's. I want to drill down a little deep in what you do specifically because we have a lot of uh, kids uh, listen to the podcast, people from other countries, a lot of coaches. Give us an example of your like basically your small ball approach to the game, how you get kids interested, and also uh, you know on field awareness, which I you you probably should model that and send that to the major league teams because nobody knows what the hell's going on anymore in baseball, and uh, just just. Give us some really uh, specifics of what's going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The current state of major league awareness really is an inspiration to all of us. So uh, we, we try to use that as a tool to motivate us to, to figure out exactly what's going wrong. Um, so in, or, in order to teach gameplay, what we do is we focus on running. Um, when, when I look at uh, sports that are thriving at the youth levels, you look at soccer, you look at lacrosse. Um, it's not, it's not too hard for a kid to understand the rules. You, you run, you chase the ball, you score it in the goal. Um, and it's unfortunate because when you think about baseball, nobody really thinks about running, especially at the higher levels. I mean, there, there's no more, you know, hit and run. There's no more stolen bases, but when you look at kids playing the game, um, I, I alluded to the barriers earlier. Um, if you ask a, a T-ball coach, or, you know, a little league administrator, what baseball is all about, you know, what makes baseball great. They may say, you know, getting a five-year-old out there in a uniform with a glove um, and, and putting the ball on a tee and all of that is not the right answer. Um, from my point of view, the uniform is, it's extraneous. I mean, the kids can do this in sweatpants and a, and a t-shirt and, and the small ball program, I'm sorry, no, I said absolutely. You know, it's it's we're focused on the wrong things. Yeah, and 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 you know, a glove on a kid, that's a great way to to take a photo. But I mean, you know, if you want to see a kid in a uniform and a glove, that you know, that's that's great. It looks good on a baseball card. But um, when you teach a kid how to catch a ball, he's got to catch with two bare hands. Um, I mean, you just cannot teach a kid to catch a catch a ball with a glove uh, until he understands the mechanics and and the um, you know, has the, the coordination to do, do it with bare hands. So when, when you, when you kind of take that approach, the, the key is, uh, well, I'll get into catching in a second, but if you take those things out of it, I mean, what is baseball? It's a game of tag um, w- with a lot of, you know, complexity layered on top. And, and if we start with the complexity, the kids are going to fall asleep. They're going to go, they're going to play lacrosse. They're going to play soccer. When you, when you take all of that away and you say, all right, you know, day one, this is home plate and this is first base, this is second base. And you, you take them, we literally take them on a tour of the bases. Now I'm, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about, this is what we do in our small ball, uh, youth baseball program in the U S 
Um, we use a lot of these uh, tools and, and ways of teaching the game in Ireland as well. Um, but uh, so we take the kids on a tour of the bases. We go, you know, from home around the bases back to home, and then we let them run the bases. And um, we kind of, we try to start off every every first practice or first session there with that. And we try to end with that as well. Um, two to three weeks in, most of the kids can at least identify the bases from anywhere on the field. And then we've kind of laid the groundwork for what the gameplay is. And the gameplay is, I mean, it's essentially you, you're going to hit the ball, you're going to run. And if you're in the field, you need to know where the runners are and where they're trying to get to, or else you don't know where to throw it. So th- that's where the awareness starts. And, and I feel like too many times we focus on putting a ball on a tee, getting these kids out there. They're standing in the field. They don't know what's happening. They don't know where the ball's supposed to go. And when I started as a T-ball coach, I was told if at the end of the season, your entire team knows to run to first base, you've done a great job. And I reject that. I, 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 and I said it at the time, I said, if I go through an entire season and that's all I can say, I've failed. I mean, there, there's just no, and it's not on the coaches. I mean, this is, this is coming from, you know, this is what's told to coaches and, and, and they're doing the best that they can. But um, I really think we need to re-examine re, uh, how we're teaching this because if you, if you focus on the bases on day one, by day two, most of the kids know where to run. And, and that really does a, long, uh, does a great job of you know, putting you on the path to getting most of these kids to not only enjoy the game today, but to come back and play next year. I think it's important too because the uh, and this is what's lost in on all levels of baseball, especially even major league baseball. By teaching them that, by teaching them to go first, second, third, home, and the importance of that, you're teaching them the importance of scoring a run as opposed to yes taking the perfect swing, uh, throwing the ball a million miles per hour. You're teaching them what the game really should be all about is that my team has more runs than your team. That's baseball. That's what you want to achieve at the end of the day. And that's what it's all about. But we, from the very basics in the beginning, I, I saw a video the other day and it was cute. You know, it was T-ball, kid hits the ball, he throws the bat, hits the coach, because, you know, he's throwing his little, uh, doing his little bat flip type thing. Uh, he runs directly to second base. Another kid's not paying attention where the ball winds up. He throws across the diamond. It hits another kid in the face, and he falls on the ground. The kid that's at second base is just floating all over the place. That's, I, I think that's, you know, I think that, you know, I think that's, uh, I'm going to take this heavy here, but I think that's an example of America right now. We're just running around with our heads, you know, who knows where we're going. And your program actually, uh, I think, by teaching the value of scoring a run, we lay the groundwork from the first brick. What's important? Yeah, and, and and I think you know what I haven't seen the video you're talking about, but I mean, if that were to happen, that's fun. That's funny. You can enjoy that in the moment, but as an organization or as a coach or or, or a league, when that happens, you laugh at it. But you better look at that real hard and say, "Listen, how many of these kids are, are you know?" are not learning. And if they're not learning, 
they're not going to be able to have fun. A kid can't enjoy a game if they don't understand how it's played. Um, so there's only so many of those funny incidents that can happen before, you know, a, a parent decides, hey, you know, this is a joke or, or a kid decides, well, you know, this isn't that interesting. And, and the other thing is, you know, we teach the running because it's it's um, central to gameplay and it's often overlooked, but it's also a lot of fun. I mean, we start the, the as I said, we start the practices with the running. Even after the kids know the bases, we will start with the running. Um, because you can't make a kid do a lap around the field when he's six years old. I mean, even if they could handle it, it's not fun. I mean, so you let them run the bases. And then at the end of the day, uh, what we try to do is, is we, we break out a kickball, you know, because we don't want at the end of the day, we don't want to say, look, you have to hit the ball to run the bases. It's still hitting. It is difficult to teach. And and we, we recognize that most of the kids, um, you know, will struggle. And at the end of a practice, we want every kid to just be able to run the bases. So, we, we roll a kickball out, we let them kick it, and they run the bases again. And, and we do use kickball uh, quite a bit, especially in the early stages, to make sure that we have an easy way to give the kids that, um, you know, the reward of, you know, it's not hitting a baseball with a bat, but, you know, especially if, if a kid is struggling or if a team, you know, is struggling on the whole, um, we just take out the kickball and reinforce the gameplay, reinforce the fun. And also it's a great way to, to teach tagging because, um, you know, a kid is not going to be able to pick up a baseball and tag a, another player most of the time. But with a bigger ball, a kickball, it, it becomes a lot easier to actually play the game. And and it um, so that's a tool that we've used. But, yeah, it, it all comes back to making it fun without dumbing it down. I like that. I think you got to bring the kickball back to Major League Baseball because with our number three hitters batting close to 200, they may need some of that positive reinforcement again and base running techniques. <laughs> what, what are some of the instructions you're giving them uh, not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but I think it's important to our audience when you're, when you're taking them first base on that journey around the base pass, the, the very first day and at the beginning of practice. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, so the first thing is, um, you know, we, we have the coaches walk with the team. Yeah, this is the this is the first time around the bases. We walk with the team. We get to first base. We tell them the name of the base, and um, and then we say, you know, we're next. We're going to go to second base. Does anybody know where second base is? And so you get at least half of the kids will, will point. They know where second base is, or they think they know, and they're right. And and that's good because at least that'll reinforce that. And, it, and then the kids that aren't sure, or they point to third, or you know. God knows where, you know, know, that's, that's the time to, to teach them where second base is. And then we say, all right, you know, let's go. We're going to go to second base. We, we walk to second base. We we want it to be, you know, in all, it's going to take about three minutes, but we, we want it to be something where it kind of resonates with them a little bit. Um, because the next time they do this, they're going to be running. And so we want to make sure it kind of sits with them a little bit, you know, where they're going, where's the next, you know, spot on the journey next is third, next is home. Um, and most of the kids, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times we, we take for granted how smart kids are and, and, uh, you know, they, it's just never done. Like you just never really start a T-ball season by teaching the kids where the bases are. Um, and, and so we, we make it a point to, to really drive that home and, and we, we buffer it with the fun aspect of, you know, we're going to learn the bases, we're going to run the bases. And, and it's kind of that duality that, uh, kind of, you know, that, that's kind of the under, underpinning of the entire program. You know, we, we teach the, the sports specific skills of hitting, throwing and catching, um, because 
you have to know those things in order to enjoy the game. And, and we have, you know, ways of making those things fun without taking our, no pun intended, but taking our eye off the ball of we're teaching a skill. So we have to do our job from a, an analytical, uh, you know, clinical thing. Like we have to, you know, know how we're going to do this, but from the kid's perspective, he's just learning how to hit a ball. So if we, if we use a larger, um, ball, uh, we, we typically use plastic bats and balls, um, because it's just a lot easier for the kids to manipulate, to, you know, to swing that bat, to catch the ball, to throw the ball. Um, it's also a lot safer, uh, because we, we try to have a lot of you know different drills going on at once. And, and um, so that's, that's kind of how we approach all of that. But it's that it's that dual purpose of, you know, keeping it fun, making it fun and not dumbing it down and then teaching the, the, the skills. You know, it, that's that's what's most important. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the catching. I think that's great. I when I started teaching my boys to catch and then, uh, we have two daughters as well, teaching them how to catch. Um, we started with bigger balls, but when we taught them how to field, uh, we actually cut out a milk carton, took the glove away. They started with bare hands, and when they got good, they got we, we had a, an emptied out milk carton where they learned how to slide that ball and line it up with with that. So I think there's a lot there's a lot of creative ways to do that. Um, uh, as far as catching, talk. I know we we have a an, it's an audio, it's not a visual here for the audience, but how, how does a catching work when you start with their bare hands? What are some key points you you talk to kids about with catching? Um, so we try to, for any skill, we try to keep the, the coaching cues really simple. It's for the kids, but it's also for the coaches. Um, and and if I could just back up a second, the, um, the coaches that we've worked with and that we, we continue to work with are, are one of usually one of three, um, uh, types. The first is guy who coached or played high school or college baseball. So we kind of have to just, you know, take, take them aside and say, you know, this is like, you probably haven't thought about how to teach the game to a a beginner in a long time or if ever. So, um, we're going to keep the, the cues very simple and, and we want them to be repeated. We want the kids to be familiar with all of them. We don't want to hit them with a million different things that they have to worry about when they're catching or hitting. Um, the second, uh, the second grouping of coaches would be, um, volunteers who may have a coaching background, but not in baseball. And, um, those are some of our best coaches. Um, and, and, uh, and then there's parents or, you know, volunteer parents and, um, they, they can come from any background. It could be, you know, someone like me who, who, you know, played and coached, uh, could be somebody like, um, you know, who has no idea and is very intimidated, but wants to help their, their kid and, and their kid's, friends learn how to play the game, but they don't know where to start. So, so with all those people, we just say, look, this program, it's flexible. We can adapt it to where you are. We can adapt it to what you need to do. And and we can adapt it to other drills. If you've got better ideas, different ideas based off of what we do, that's fine. But the cues have to stay simple and consistent. And so with, with catching, the first thing we do is we start with a ready position and that's hands on, on knees. Um, the reason we do it that way is we, we want the hands to be together because they have to move together to the ball. So we want to give the kids a starting position, um, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, if, if they're, if we're in a game situation, we want the kids to have something that they can go to where they can all do it. Um, some kids, you know, putting the glove on the ground makes them, uh, kind of, it's difficult for them to move out of that. Some kids, you know, just physically can't or won't do it, but 
if you have kids with their hands on their knees, that's a good starting place. It has both hands doing the same thing. And, and when we toss the ball to them, we want the both hands to move to it. So that that's the starting point. It's a ready position. And then, um, once they've kind of adapted to that, uh, if they can't catch, we use, um, jugs, light flight balls, um, and wiffle balls. Um, but if they can't catch a regular size ball, one of those two types of balls, we move up to a larger plastic ball, uh, like a softball size, 12 inch softball. Um, if they struggle with that, we'll, we'll, we'll move to a kickball and there's, we use like, um, the rhino skin ball. So they're not, they're not hard. Um, they're not heavy, they're light and, um, and there's a lot of different sizes. So we can scale up from there if we have to. Um, and, uh, anything, you know, if a kid can't, can't handle that, then, you know, we may have other issues. Um, but usually, you know, they just need to focus on, on catching the ball and, and keeping their, the rest of their body still. Sometimes we'll get a, uh, actually one of my sons, um, he, uh, he, his, basically his, um, his butt would drop down to the ground every time I tossed the ball to him. And so like, we just had to get him to just keep his feet still and not move and just understand what it felt like to catch the ball without all the extra movement. And, um, so we, we, we basically start there and once they get that down and they can catch a, a baseball size ball, then we teach them, you know, thumb position. So if it's a pop-up, if it's over your head, your thumbs are together. So if you could visualize that, that's, you know, that's your, your position to catch it. And then if it's, um, uh, ground ball, you put your, your hands out, your pinkies together, and, um, and we make exercises out of that. So we make, you know, warm up, um, movements based on that to reinforce that there's different positions that your hands need to be in based on where the ball is. And after that, it's just repetition. So we, we just, you know, we try to rely on their instinct and, and just, you know, give them a lot of reps and, and, um, you know, they don't know it's reps. They think it's games, but we, we just, you know, we start there and we just keep going. John, I've, uh, I've been, you know, I've been dealing with uh, four kids, obviously, uh, um, um, three kids. I'm sorry. I'm, I come from four kids and we, we played all the time. That's what I was going to say. And um, and then teaching my kids. But the, the, the pinkies together and the thumbs together is a great tool. Been doing that for 30 years and um, a little bit different. I do anything above your waist, thumbs together, anything below your waist, pinkies together. But it's the same same concept. And just by teaching them that skill. And the ability to protect themselves, and that's really what you're doing at that stage. Yeah, uh, that that's in a sense of accomplishment as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And and um, so above the waist for us, we, we don't even say anything. But yeah, I agree with you. It, it is thumbs together, and we want to look for that. But um, I just I just kind of toss it to them and, and see if they can catch it. I, I'm not focused so much on on the thumbs, but but again, it, two things. It, it's first of all, it's. Um, it's flexible. So if Kevin, if you came and, and we're going to coach and, and you taught it that way, that's totally fine. I mean, it, it's, it, it's a legitimate way to do it. It's been done for years. And the second thing is, um, the, the entire small ball program, I mean, it, it's not rocket science. None of the things that we're exactly. doing is yep. really out, yep. out of like, you know, I've, I have seen programs, especially for these slightly older kids where it's like, you know, revolutionary hitting system and all this stuff. It, <laughs> There's nothing revolutionary about baseball. It, it's a it's a great game, it, but the movements in baseball are similar to other sports, and the and there's nothing here that needs to be 
redone, except for the fact that that we we've gotten to the point with baseball where it not only costs a lot of money to play, but we're focusing at the early ages on all the wrong, wrong things. Now we could get into you know travel baseball and, and how those types of things have been kind of you know <laughs> you know there are problems with baseball at the, at the higher levels that are certainly there, but when we're talking about kids that want to play baseball and how we're introducing the sport to them, you know, we take a lot for granted. We, we take it for granted that the kids know where the foul poles are. I mean, they don't. And, and, and that's one of the things we, we teach is kind of field awareness beyond, beyond the infield, because, you know, a six-year-old kid can go through an entire season and never see or hear or have anything to do with the outfield. Um, but when they're playing the game and, and they're watching the game on TV, they need to be able to kind of put those two things together. So, you know, one of the things I, I did, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, I, I was out of ideas. These kids were learning the stuff quicker than I could teach it to them. And I, um, I decided we were going to take our, our tour. Uh, we weren't, weren't going to do the basis this morning. We're, we're just going to go out to, uh, to the outfield and take a look around. So I walked them out to the foul pole and I explained what it was. Not one kid knew what it was. These are kids that now had been playing baseball for, I think, over a year. Uh, they had been in our program for four or five weeks. They could all hit. They could all catch. They all knew the bases. They, they were actually very, very excited about playing baseball now. And um, none of them knew what a foul pole was. Um, so I, I, I told them what it was. I, I had them stand back. I threw one off the foul pole. I asked them you know, if a ball hit there, what happens? Told them, you know, it's a home run. And, you know, they, they took it all in. There was nothing nothing too special about it. And the next week, um, kids came back and the kid said, hey, I was at Yankee Stadium. They've got two foul poles there too. <laughs> and it, this kid had been to Yankee Stadium before, you know, and, and, and you know, but nobody thinks that you know, kids watching it on TV or they're, they're at the ballpark. Who's, who's going to, you know, talk about a foul pole, but to a kid, once you explain what this giant yellow, you know, pole is out in the outfield, it's pretty cool. You know, and, and we, we miss a lot of these opportunities because if you go to a ballpark or you go to like, even to a high school game, there's a lot of cool stuff that it, you know, for a six, seven year old kid or five year old kid, they just, you know, we just kind of focus on the batter and the pitcher and, and that's it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to teach my eight-year-old what a neighborhood play is or was. He's fascinated with it. But, uh, you know, it, it, like those are the types of things where, you know, if you teach all the other stuff, there's a there's a hell of a lot to learn in baseball. Yeah, that's a, those are great points, every one of them. A real quick point, uh, when you do the uh, kickball, do you let them peg each other or how do how do we do that? Pegging, uh, no, we don't. We, we we don't allow pegging to start, but we do allow pegging once we move back to, uh, uh, you know, wiffle ball uh, or plastic bats and balls because it's um, it's a great way to teach as long as, as long as you know you don't want a kid to get hurt, obviously. But if a, if kids can peg, then then they're able to you know develop their throwing to a moving target, which is um, great. It's really good to do, and, and you really can't get – it's almost impossible to get hurt with a wiffle ball or a light flight ball. And and the other thing I wanted to, you know, get to – you do a great job with the Irish American Baseball Society and, you know, the, the players and the connections uh, to different counties in Ireland and things like that. And, and you know, probably a surprising number of players, uh, which you don't think they have the Irish roots. Uh, what about that situation and guys like, you know uh, – 
everybody from Yastrzemski, Mike Yastrzemski to uh, Gidry and things like that. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, so uh, we've got a, um, uh, a genealogist who, who's a member um, named Tim Carr, and, and Tim does all that research, and it, it's really fun. I mean, I forget exactly who the first player he was uh, was that he pointed out was Irish, but um, whoever Tim would remember. But it, when he first told me that, I was like, "Wait a second." that's really cool. Can you do that for other players? He was like, yeah, you know, it doesn't take me that long. You know, I, if I can't, if I hit some dead ends, I'll, I'll usually just, you know, put it aside and go back and, and I'll focus on another player. And, um, it, it's, it's really interesting because you can, it, it's a fun thing. I mean, like th- there's been a strong impact from, uh, from Irish immigrants and Irish Americans in baseball over the years, as there has been for other, uh, countries and, and, um, you know, but it's an important part of baseball history. And then, and then when you see that, you know, guys like Chris Bryant, you know, Chris Bryant's got, you know, Irish ancestry going back 250 years, I think. Um, he probably has no idea, uh, you know, but, but it, it is a fun, uh, it's a fun thing to see because a lot of our members are, um, they're proud of their Irish heritage. They're aware of where, what County in Ireland, their ancestors came from. So when you tell them that, that, uh, somebody, you know, uh, Keith Hernandez, um, trying to think who else, I think Ralph Kiner, you know, th- there's just so many people where you just, like, you, you, you don't think that's, uh, you know, an Irish, that's not an Irish guy. And, it, but, um, there's a lot of Irish, you know, people that have Irish ancestry that either don't know about it or, or it goes back so far, they're not too familiar with it. So it's a, it's a fun thing that we, we like to, uh, you know, to, to highlight and to, you know, point out. So kind of for Leffer from the Yankees, you sure stopped myself something there. Yeah. I have to check with Tim. Somebody brought that up on the Facebook group recently. And, and I, I think that's true. I haven't seen Kiner's family tree. That's the other thing when, when Tim does this, you know, we announce it, but, uh, but Tim's also doing the family trees on a lot of these people. So, um, so not only do we, do we know where they're from, but we, we, in many cases, it goes back. We know the, the family name, uh, you know, when they, uh, came over to the U S and, and things like that. So it gets pretty deep and it, it's really, it, it's an interesting endeavor because I mean, there are guys like, um, you know, Sean Casey, uh, Steve Garvey, um, you know, who Tim has, has done the genealogy for, and, um, they're aware of, of their ancestry, but they may not be aware of, you know, all the specifics and, and Tim's able to drill down and, and figure that stuff out. Would a guy like D'Agostino have a shot in the society? Oh, yeah. No, that's the other cool thing about it. Uh, we don't discriminate. So uh, if you like baseball and you have any interest in Ireland or, you know, the history of baseball in Ireland or the Irish impact, we'll take you. No, it's great. And I, I'm married to a McFarland, so I may have a little bit of I've got a little bit of an in there. Yeah, there you go. And that, that's one of the reasons why we don't discriminate, because there's there's a lot of people that have a very strong interest uh, or, or, you know, affiliation with Ireland or being Irish that aren't. And, you know, who are we to, to, to keep anyone out? Like it, it's uh, it's a celebration of baseball in Ireland. And that, that's basically where it starts. John, I love your story because, I mean, you're, you're talking about you're, you're you're hitting our heart here with the fundamental baseball. We, we bang on that all day long on all, all of our podcasts, especially this one with, you know, with real voices of the game and then um, love the history. I, I think kids got to get more into that in terms of baseball in general, but you're also, I mean, you, you have so many layers to you and they're all connected. You're a, an award-winning filmmaker. 
Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the Emerald Diamonds and, and also playing for Peanuts, those two? Yeah. So um, the the documentary that I made about baseball in Ireland was called The Emerald Diamond. And um, that's, that's the documentary that um, I made in 2006 that led to the creation of the Baseball United Foundation. And, and so, you know, that, that was, um, I, I had played baseball in high school. I played briefly in college, uh, gave it up and, and, um, found out a few years after that, that, uh, Ireland had a, um, uh, national baseball team. And I was still at the time I was still playing, I, I was, you know, playing at a, a, you know, college summer league level or whatever. And, uh, I, I wanted to still play a game that meant something. And so I, I, you know, I went through the process. I got back into shape and, and I was ready to play for team Ireland. And, uh, before I could try out, I found out that I actually was not due to a technicality. I was not eligible for Irish citizenship. So, um, I, you know, it, it was, it, it was, uh, it was a letdown, but uh, at the time I, I had begun working in the film and TV industry. And, and so I, you know, I asked the guys over there, I said, would you mind if I came over with a cameraman and, uh, you know, shot a documentary? And they thought nothing of it. And, um, you know, they said, yeah, that, that's fine. Like, you know, they don't, they didn't know who I was. And I, I honestly had no idea what it was going to lead to. So, um, so I made the film and, um, it was cool. It was, a, it was a real, you know, interesting story about how a, a group of friends started the, the first, you know, Irish national baseball team in 1996 and, and how they, you know, struggled to, to grow. And, and, um, it, it chronicled about 10 years, I think of their existence. Uh, so the film came out and, um, we showed it in 25 cities across the country and it also showed at the Hall of Fame, at the Hall of Fame Film Festival, and it won the Critics, I think it was the Critics' Choice Award, uh, which was uh, Jeffrey Lyons picked that one. So that was pretty cool. And um, so that was great. You know, th- it was a nice, fun film, great project. I got my feet wet first time, you know, making a documentary. And uh, as soon as it was done, I had to figure out wh- what am I doing next? And, um, that was, that was tough because I, you know, where do you go from that? I I knew I wanted to do something baseball related because it was, it was a lot of fun to do it. I love the game and, um, and I loved, you know, kind of telling a a human story with baseball as the backdrop or a baseball story with humanity as backdrop. I, you know, I don't really, basically you could go either way. Um, and then, and then I found out that uh, there was going to be a new baseball league in, um, the Southeast called the South coast league. And I contacted them. I think I contacted four or five other leagues and, and there was varying levels of interest. The South coast league was hundred percent behind it. They said, absolutely. Uh, if you can, if you're going to cover all your costs, you can do this. And they sent me a list of, um, of the managers of the teams. And I took a look and one of them was Wally Backman. And I said, absolutely. We're going to follow Wally's team. And, um, course at the time i knew i actually i had lost touch with the story with wally so i did not know any of the stuff that had happened in the last four or five years um i you know i'd been working on this other movie i had heard he had been hired and fired by the diamondbacks i think but i had no idea what was actually the reason or you know it it didn't even occur to me that he hadn't managed a game so but you know being a fan of the mets back to you know the 86 mets that was you know, I said, I would like to follow Wally's team. The league said, cool, that's great. So, uh, we started filming and, and, um, the story was, uh, 
one hell of a story. Oh, that's an understatement. That's an understatement. Um, I mean, all this for us is, is a fascinating program. At the end of it, you, you use words like sharing and helping and contributing and building. And, and, and those are, that's music to our ears. There's a specific story I read on your website with Lewisboro. And as you're talking about giving, you know, you've mentioned cleats and gloves and knowledge and trying to build community. But a program like Lewisboro, I saw, uh, was it $100,000 was donated to the program? Did I get that number right? Yeah, that was um, so. We, one of the things we do is we we have a it's called a fiscal sponsorship program, and that's um, because we're a, we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. We have the ability to accept donations for organizations that are not nonprofits. So, I mean, there and there's like there's some paperwork involved. You know, we can't just raise money for anybody, um, but. Um, uh, Lewisboro's uh, Youth Baseball Association. They're based in New York. They came to us, and I think they're. I think that the the story was that they they had been a little league team. Their charter had lapsed. Little league hadn't contacted them or had tried to, but didn't really go through. You know, for whatever reason, it fell through, and it didn't get to anybody, and nobody knew that they had lost this. And um, they were at the time they they had a, a large donor that wanted to donate to to help them fix up their fields and. They had, there was no way for them to accept that money uh, because they were not a nonprofit, or it wouldn't be tax deductible. So we um, we were able to accept the donation and um, on their behalf, and and then uh, you know they got the money to to fix up their fields, and and so that that's one of the um, one of the several things that we do, um, and and it's. You know, and again, it comes back to each program has its own unique needs. I mean, the you know, hundred thousand dollars to any of the programs that we we deal with in like you know Colombia or, or Nigeria or something that would that would be a game changer. Um, but you know, in Lewisboro, they they had specific needs with fixing up some dugouts and, and things like that, and there's contractors involved and local municipalities, and that stuff costs a lot of money. And, and we don't, we don't begrudge them that. I mean, that's, that's their money and, and they, they, they had to do those things that that's their own unique situation. Um, but then if you, if you look at a, you know, country like uh, Belize where we, we work, if, you know, if we can raise 200, $300, that could, you know, outfit um, an entire youth team or that could get baseballs and gloves for several teams. And, and so it, it's just, it's such a, a different it's such a different thing, you know, as you move from country to country. Um, but, uh, but it's important because, you know, if, if kids in Lewisboro can't play, you know, if they don't have a dugout, you know, there, there's other sports out there and they, they're going to go somewhere else. And, and so what we're trying to do is, you know, no matter who the organization is or where they are, if they, if they've determined that they need something and, and, you know, we can help them do that then we have to help them do that. As long as they're a well-run organization and they use the money the way that, that they're supposed to, you know, they're the ones that know best what, what needs to be done because, you know, we don't want these kids to, to, we don't care if they play other sports, obviously, but like we don't want them to give up on baseball. And that's so important because we've seen so many kids that don't, I mean, you, you can ask people, you know, major league baseball is very fond of saying that, you know, baseball, at all levels is thriving, but anecdotally, we know that's not true. Um, so we don't want kids to, to leave the game. You want to go play lacrosse. You want to play soccer. Great. Don't leave baseball. 
that's that's basically uh, it's not officially our mission statement, but that's kind of what we're all about. John, since we started with uh, running the bases, we're we're rounding third, heading home. Uh, one quick question, and and then another one. Uh, any any film projects in the works now, or uh, are, you, are you busy with other things? Yeah, no, I gave that up. Um, yeah, right now my focus is the uh, the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation, and those you know. I do the social media for most of the stuff. Um, I, do, I have some help, thank God. But um, in my in my eyes, that's those stories and the, that um, you know content, those videos, those photos, those things. That's what's taking up my creative energy. So no, there, there's no more films. Okay, um, maybe down the road you, we could do a uh, Quiet Man baseball movie. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> but. Uh, and lastly, we always end on this question, and it, it doesn't matter if whoever's involved in the game is a player, coach, whatever, developer of the game. But um, it's a simple question, and you just answer it any way you want. But what does it mean to you to be a ball player? Hmm. Yeah, so I guess it's, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I've heard the question asked, but I, I never considered how to answer it. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I – uh, I haven't played in years, but, um, you know, I still remember what it feels like to, you know, hit a stand up double or, you know, uh, leg out a, an infield hit. And, um, I feel like it's intangible. I can't really describe it, but I know what it feels like. And I want to share that, you know, with my own sons and, and, you know, with anybody else who, who plays or, or aspires to play. And, um, I can't, I can't define what it means. Um, but I, but I, you know, I know the smells, I know the feeling, I know what it, what it means to me. Um, but I can't, I don't think I could put it into words. Well, you're certainly helping other people become ball players, So that's, that's great too. And, uh, I'll turn it over to Dave to wrap it up, but, uh, thanks so much. Great interview. It flew by and uh, that's where it's supposed to go. Yeah. John, thanks, thanks so thanks. much. I mean, thank I, you. your whole, your whole, uh, talk here was about what it meant to be a ball player. I think everybody has a great idea of what it means to you, but uh, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody, please support uh, the Irish American Baseball Foundation, Baseball United Foundation. We'll retweet it and put it on our social media, the the uh, website so they can go to it. We're in 32 countries in addition to all 50 states in the U.S., so you're going to get some pretty good play here. So everybody, please support what John's doing. We do here at Coach and Kernan. Uh, audience, thanks so much for supporting us. Episode 32, Real Voices of the Game with John Fitzgerald.